invite you, if you have uh, your Bible, I want to just go ahead and begin in the text. Luke 12 is, uh, is the text for this morning, beginning in verse 13. We're coming to a text that is maybe familiar for some of us, and yet what's curious about this text is that it is one that I think can we can take these words and so easily misunderstand the truth of the heart of the Father. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to touch on this a little bit earlier in Luke 12, what, what's going to be, what has been going on. But someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my family inheritance with me. But he said, Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbitrary over you? Then he said to him, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will uh, tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the one who stores up a treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Amen. Lord, we trust you to speak to us through your word, and we give that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to uh, situate it here. In Luke 12, again, this is a, a, a curious passage. And so uh, I want to I talk about what it means to live rich. In fact, the title I've given the message is Living Rich. Uh, my brother and I were young boys, uh, somewhere between the past toddlerhood, and yet well into mischievousness. Uh, so it, and I'm talking about like the late 60s. That dates me. Uh, we grew up, and we had a lot of adventures together in our little neighborhood in Colorado Springs. And some of them, well, they, they might even be a little bit on the questionable side, but they were pretty innocent. Um, like the time that we decided that we would have a little adventure with one of our neighbors by going about a half a block down the street to the, uh, the, there was a Catholic church that was there. And so we found out that if you took rocks, and I don't think they were any bigger than maybe two or three inches, you throw them on the top of the flat roof of the priest's study, and that would evoke a reaction out of the priest. And so it's pretty innocent, but, you know, it's sort of this, game we sort of got into, you know, how many rocks will it take to provoke the priest? So, 
Again, I, I, I don't know who decided this was a good idea. I was, by the way, if my brother was here, I still would throw him under the bus, you know. I was the guy that followed his ideas, okay? So, but uh, let me also point out that our brains were not fully developed, and that's a fact, okay? So, this church was built around the same time as our house. It would have been somewhere in the late 50s, early 60s. And the priest study was attached to that church building. And so the reason I'm pointing that out is because his study uh, it was, was made in what we today would call uh, mid-century modern. So here's the reason that's important is because there was no window to which, through which the priest could look out to see the street. His, his study faced the street, but across the top of the study, about the top two, three feet, there was a window pane that went across the top of his study. Other than that, um, you know, he couldn't see cars or people passing by, and I'm sure somebody thought that was a brilliant idea for a study. What it was great for was mischievous boys who didn't want to be seen but could be heard, okay? So the goal, toss a rock, let it hit the roof. I don't think we were hurting anything, to be honest. Um, but, you know, then you run before you get in trouble. Okay? And the idea is, you know, he comes storming out, what are you doing? Okay. Uh, my brother, on one particular day, uh, I, and see, I, don't, I wasn't there when this part of it happened. So I might have been there in the earlier parts of it. I may have thrown the first rock or two. I don't know. But my brother decided that he would hang around. And, and uh, this is when things began to get ugly. Because I think he went for rock number two, maybe number three. And uh, whichever one it was, one of them didn't make it to the roof. It hit the, oh, did I mention they were stained glass windows across the top uh, and went through the window. Uh, and so uh, uh, about that time, though, we had already tossed a couple of them. The priest was already on his way to confront us. And there my brother was, sort of red-handed, rock in hand, broken window. And what followed next is a story that will remain in family history and lore forever, okay? My brother, I, I called him up yesterday or a couple of days ago said, hey, I, I want to make sure I remember this right. And then he called me back later. Actually, we, we were doing a Marco Polo back and forth, if you're familiar with that. Uh, he said, oh, Ben, I, I thought about that. He said, only thing I can remember. Now, our house is a half a block away. He said, the only thing I remember is running for my dear life. And all I could see behind me was this man in full black garb running full tilt after me and yelling. And so he, my brother runs home. Now, again, wherever I'm at, I'm long gone by that point because I wasn't a part of that particular exchange. But, but he runs home, and he goes into his bedroom and literally hides under the bed. The next thing that happens, the priest arrives at the front door, banging on the door until somebody came to the door. The one who came to the door was my father. And the priest is not only confronting my father, but demanding to confront my brother. And furthermore, as my father retold the story, uh, you know, it, my father basically said the guy was out of control, which is pretty interesting because my dad, my dad could get unhinged pretty good. Uh, and, and we were actually familiar with how our dad might behave if we broke a window, which means we had broken 
other windows before. So we were familiar with this. Uh, but I wasn't there. I wasn't. So, um, so anyway, this priest was not only demanding to confront my brother as my dad tried to listen to him to calm him down, what he wanted was to literally physically discipline my brother. And suddenly something happened with my dad. Uh, no, this is no. Now, I mean, it's pretty epic because my father, again, had no trouble giving us a spanking if we deserved it. Um, but as my dad told the story, he literally had to tell the man to back off and to leave. And that he would indeed take care of things and know he wasn't going to allow him to discipline his own son. Now, what we both remembered as being very, very clear was this. On that day, Dad protected my brother from the father, priest, and in fact, paid for the window to be repaired. Now, that stained glass had to be pretty expensive for my dad. He didn't make a lot of money. We were, you know, an immigrant family. But interestingly, I never remember my dad ever holding that over him. Now, I'm pretty sure he had him pull weeds. We always had to do that. I should say always, we, you know, in trouble or not, we were still pulling weeds. Suffice to say, we stayed clear of the Catholic Church from that point forward, okay? But what we didn't forget was what it looked like to have a man called Father respond as a critic and a judge, and a taskmaster. But equally, what we remembered was our dad, our actual father, as the one who protected and provided for us, even in the midst of our own poor choices. If all you hear this morning is that, you've heard what you need to hear. See, we come to a text in the life of Jesus that mattering, and again, how we read it, it can begin to have the feel of Jesus describing God a little bit like that raving, angry man chasing my brother down the street. A critic, a judge, demanding his pound of flesh. And yet, what I want to submit to us, beloved, is that Jesus is actually giving an invitation to a Father who is our protector and our provider. And to answer the question, that question well, which one is it, is to know what it means to live rich. That's why I've entitled the message, Living Rich. See, the good news that we proclaim is Jesus' invitation to become rich toward God isn't just that God is like waiting for us to hit some certain quota in order to not be off-put by our behavior. To be rich toward God is to have the revelation that we have a good Father whose intent is always to provide and protect a God that we can trust. That Father wants to protect us 
from what in the end can control and take most the most treasured gift of all that he's given to us, life. That life is not found in storing up, but in giving what we've been given freely. Love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Now, again, before we go fully into this text, I want to remind us, and I, because I, I want you to understand that when I'm making a point like this, especially when you read the words in red, you know, you hear Jesus saying, God's going to call you, say, you fool, your life is going to be demanded of you. Um, and see, that's sort of the tone that I've always heard that when I would read this, these verses. But I want to remind you that a little bit earlier in chapter 12, well, in chapter 11, as he's talking to his friends about prayer, he says, your father is better than any earthly father that you've ever imagined. Remember that? We looked at that last week. Then in chapter 12, he turns to his friends and he says, I need you to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. What he's talking about is that air in the spirit of religious folks, which is hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another. And he says, whatever happens, watch this, don't live in fear. Don't fear what they can do to you. So the whole context of Jesus communicating to his friends is, this isn't about fear. Therefore, beloved, he doesn't turn around and say, be afraid. Be afraid of God. What Jesus is revealing is to be cautious about those things that will control and seek to control your life through fear, through intimidation. And I love the way that, look at, if, if, I don't know what your translation is. I'm going to read this out of the voice translation of verse 7 before I get down to verse 13, okay? Verse 7, since you are more precious to God than a thousand flocks of sparrows. See, Jesus continually is describing the heart of the Father, and he's representing the heart of the Father in his life, okay? You're more precious than a thousand flocks of sparrows since God knows every detail down to the number of hairs on your head at this moment. Listen to the rest of this. You can be secure and unafraid of any person, and you have nothing to fear from God either. Now let's jump forward to verse 13. Jesus is telling his friends, I want you to live a fearless life unintimidated by, by things you think somebody can grab a hold of you and take your life and you're going you're gonna to be tempted to want to rise up and, and respond to it and control what's happening around you. I'm telling you, watch out for it. Be careful. And a nameless man, we don't know his name. All we know is he's hanging out with Jesus. And he makes an appeal to Jesus. Now, let me give a little bit of the context because Old Testament law already sets out this specific provisions for inheritance. Here, here's this nameless man. He says, wow, I'd like to do that, Jesus. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance, the family inheritance with me. Now, it sounds like a cry for justice. Except that 
Old Testament law already made very specific provisions for inheritance. So what else is going on here? Well, part of the Old Testament provision was that the oldest brother would receive more than the younger brother. So we likely have a younger brother. And then, and then we can also possibly make a, a, a couple of notice, at least a couple of assumptions that this man is making. Because this man is listening. Jesus, you're saying I, 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 want, I ought to live without fear. And I want to be a follower of you. And, and you've talked about those people who are hypocrites. Is it that his brother is one of them? Possibly. We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that for a first century Jew, a baked-in assumption is that wealth is a blessing from God. Wait a second. Oh, that still exists today, doesn't it? You're really blessed. And so I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and he's got more than me, and he's a hypocrite. Jesus, I could, I could really, really recklessly follow you if I just had my brother's inheritance. Now we're actually catching the drift. Why do I say that so confidently? Because Jesus doesn't even respond to it. He just puts his finger on the problem. We don't even get any more details. We don't know the man's identity, his life. Jesus goes right straight to the heart. You want me to be a judge? What he confronts, what Jesus is confronting is what's controlling and demanding this man's heart. Greed. See, the wealth this man needed in his life was not in coins or bills or even power. The wealth this man needed was a revelation that he had a generous, protecting, providing father that he could trust. See, Jesus cautions, oh, be on your guard against hypocrisy. And, oh, by the way, for you, every form of greed. See, and, and as Jesus puts his finger on that, it's, what he's identifying is that it isn't just wealth. It's this longing for wealth is not passive. But it actually will come to demand his life that he was not prepared to give up. And so, well, so it is with us. What we store, listen to this, what we store up isn't passive. And guys, let me just take a sidebar bunny trail before I talk about greed. Let's just, what we store up, the places that we that we choose to find life and security, significance, belonging. What I do, what I have, it's not passive. So greed. Well, in its truest form, in, it, in its truest form, the choice means that I, I don't have to be vulnerable or trust anybody. That's actually what Jesus talked about. He said, Here, here's your issue. You don't really want to trust anybody. 
You, you want to live with this illusion that you're taking care of you. I'll build a bigger barn and say to my soul, be at ease. So to be clear, this isn't about wealth. It's about those things that we perceive that give us life and care for us. Therefore, we can trust that and not God. This man is hearing Jesus talk about a fearless life, and his conclusion was, Jesus, I can do that as long as lack could get removed out of my life. He's living from a story that he's been telling himself. A fearless life, a full life, would be there if I could get rid of lack. If and when. If and when. Oh, wait, that's that little lie that whispers in our head, in our heart. If I happen to have had somebody decide to buy me a ticket that had all the right numbers, I would be so generous with the God. $1.2 billion. I'm the only guy that ever thought that, right? Yeah. If I were a rich man. Well, how does this, you know, the opening lyric, Oh, Lord, you've made many, many poor people. Now I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So would it have been so terrible if I'd have had a small fortune? Now don't let the earwig go in your head. It probably already did. la di da di da Okay, I keep going. I was, I was thinking about using that song. So, But see, if and when is the story that we tell ourselves about how much more we could be if we could remove lack. Um, in the face of our perceived lack. Well, Jesus, I, I could live fearlessly if. If I were a rich man, I could live without fear. Which means that I've given myself, ready, an excuse not to surrender to trust. That I actually have a good father who will provide and protect me. If I had my brother's inheritance, Jesus, control, I could live fearlessly like you described. And then Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issues. And what he's saying is what, you, what, what you're actually, here's what the problem is. There's something waiting to control you. I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to store up my crops. I'm going to say to my soul, be at ease. And Jesus' warning is this. It's where some may hear Jesus describing God the Father as the, quote, priest father, demanding his life. Here's what I want to submit to us, um, that, that Jesus is actually naming what happens when we store up and give our life and pay no attention to what we're trusting in, that what we store up to control our life will in the end control us. The stored up goods is what we're going to be demanding that man's life. So, Jesus' clear caution. There's things that are surrounding you that are not passive. And so what you soar up in an illusion to control your life will end up controlling you. Life is not found in the abundance of what you control. 
Where is life, Jesus? Well, he's made that pretty clear. It's, look at the words in red. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the Father's salvation, how did he reveal it? In radical generosity to us. who didn't deserve what he gave us when we ran home. But he said, come on in. Beloved, to be rich toward God is to surrender to his provision, his protection, his forgiveness, his mercy. So how do we live rich? Well, a couple of thoughts I'll throw out there. One, we run home to the right dad, to the right father, to knowing that there's a father who sees us as his beloved treasure and he wants to share his abundance. It means that we get to know our actual father, the one who is our actual provider and our protector. I think about the book of Hosea, what a graphic story that's told there of Really, God telling on himself, saying, you know, you, you've thought all kinds of other things. We're caring for you. It's me. It's I'm the one. What we think about God, beloved, and see, this is why this is so important. That's why I wanted to start this message by painting that picture, because what comes to our mind when we think about God, according to A.W. Tozer, and I believe he's right, is the most important thing about us. So take care what you're storing up and believing in. No, career, employment, inheritance, they're not our provider. They're not our protector. We have a good father. We actually come to know him, our father. We're at, that's when we're actually freed to live rich toward others. Because we've known his protection and his provision, and we don't have to live as critic and judge. See, when I get to know my father, I can actually begin to deal with the hard issues of, do, do, wait a minute, do I, actually, do I actually believe that your love is enough? That your life is enough to let go of my illusions of control? See, we all have these little barns we built. You should see how small my 401k is. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the illusions of things that we have done to describe our importance and who we are. Things that we're tempted to trust. Those barns, Jesus said, those things that we're storing up there are going to come and demand your life. Lord, I want to live rich, richly. Then... Give what we've freely been given. Generosity in love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. That's exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. So, beloved, I know the picture it painted in my head when I was a kid, okay? <laughs> Indelible. Which father do I want to trust? The critic, the judge that's demanding a pound of flesh or the one who is my protector, my provider, 
The good news that we're proclaiming today is that Jesus gives in this story the invitation to live rich toward God is to actually surrender to the fact that we have a good Father whose intent has always been and always will be to provide and protect us so that we can trust Him. And what He wants to protect us from, beware of this, isn't because He wants us to like live a boring life. You know, all the sinners get to have fun. No, not really. What He's saying is, He's trying to protect us from those things that in the end will come to demand our life and to take his most treasured gift to us, life, that life that's found not in storing up but in giving what was freely given to us, his mercy, his compassion, and his forgiveness and his love. So it is with those who live rich in their earthly possessions, but not rich towards God. Lord, we come and we want to surrender again to your invitation to live rich, to store up what's really true about who you are. Lord, we love you. And we give that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite us to uh, close this morning. Let's, I want to invite us to stand, and let's pray this closing prayer together. And then I want to bring us to uh, the table. Those of you who on, are on the call this morning, if you would grab, hopefully you've got something handy there to share and commune together. But this is the closing prayer. Would you pray this together with me? Generous God, in abundance you gave us things both spiritual and physical. Help us hold lightly the fading things of this earth and grasp tightly the lasting things of your kingdom so that we are and do and say, may what we are, do and say, be our gifts to you through Christ who beckons all to seek the things above where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen.